14. Ikai caught his nose. 1. Turning round suddenly to a look whence the blow proceeded, I caught his eye. It was a single glance, but there was something in it which said more than, perhaps, if I had attempted to lead him into conversation, he would at that moment have been inclined to say to me. The recognition was brief, lasting scarcely an instant, for a policeman coming round the corner, the great constitutional party with whom I had been acting retired in haste, rather than bring on a collision with a force which was at that time particularly obnoxious to all the true friends of excessive liberty. It will, perhaps, surprise my readers, when I inform them that this is the only personal interview I ever enjoyed with the illustrious Duke, but accustomed as I am to take in character at a glance, and to form my conclusions at a wink, I gained, perhaps, as much, or more, information with regard to the illustrious hero, as I have been enabled to do with regard to many of those members of the House of Lords whom, in the course of my random recollections, it is my intention to treat of. I never, positively, dined with the Duke of Wellington, but on one occasion I was very near doing so. Whether the Duke himself is aware of the circumstances that prevented our meeting at the same table I never knew, and had no wish to inquire, but when His Grace peruses these pages, he will perceive that our political views are not so opposite as the dastardly enemies of both would have made the world suppose them to have been. The story of the dinner is simply this, there was to be a meeting for the purpose of some charity at the Freemasons Hall, and the Duke of Wellington was to take the chair. I was offered a ticket by a friend connected with the press. My friend broke his word. I did not attend the dinner, but those virulent liars much malign me who say I stopped away because the Duke was in the chair, and much more do they libel me who would hint that my absence was caused by a difference with the Duke on the subject of politics. Whether Wellington observed that I did not attend I never knew, nor shall I stop to inquire, but when I say that His Grace spoke several times, and never once mentioned my name, it will be seen that whatever may have been his thoughts on the occasion, he had the delicacy and good taste to make no allusion whatever to the subject, which, but for its intrinsic importance, I should not so long have dwelt upon, looking over some papers the other day in my drawer, with the intention of selecting any correspondence that might have passed between myself and the Duke, I found that His Grace had never written to me more than once, but the single communication I had received from him was so truly characteristic of the man, that I cannot refrain from giving the whole of it, having heard it reported that the Duke answered with his own hand every letter that he received, I who generally prefer judging in all things for myself, determined to put His Grace's epistolary punctuality to the test of experience. With this view I took up my pen, and dashed off a few lines, in which I made no allusion, either to my first interview, or the affair of the dinner, but simply putting forward a few general observations on the state of the country, signed with my own name, and dated from Whetstone Park, which was, at that time, my residence. The following was the reply I received from the Duke, which I print verbatim, as an index short, but comprehensive, as an index ought to be to the noble Duke's character. Apsley House, the Duke of Wellington begs to return the enclosed letter, as he neither knows the person who wrote it, nor the reason of sending it. This, as I said before, is perhaps one of the most graphic traits on record of the peculiar disposition of the hero of Waterloo. It bespeaks at once the soldier and the politician. He answers the letter with military precision, but with political astuteness he pretends to be ignorant of the object I had in sending it. His ready reply was the first impulse of the man, his crafty and guarded mode of expression was the cautious act of the minister. 
had I been disposed to have written a second time to my illustrious correspondent. I now had a fine opportunity of doing so, but I preferred letting the matter drop. And from that day to this, all communication between myself and the Duke has ceased. Shall not be the first to take any step for the purpose of resuming it. The Duke must, by this time, know me too well to suppose that I had any desire to keep up a correspondence which could lead to no practical result and might only tear open afresh wounds that the healing hand of time has long ago restored to their former salubrity. It may be expected I should say a few words of the Duke's person. He generally wears a frock coat, and rides frequently on horseback. His nose is slightly curved, but there is nothing peculiar in his hat or boots, the latter of which are, of course, Wellingtons. His habits are still those of a soldier, for he gets up and goes to bed again much as he was accustomed to do in the days of the peninsula. His speeches in Parliament I have never heard, but I have read some of them in the newspapers. He is now getting old, but I cannot tell his exact age, and he has a son who, if he should survive his father, will undoubtedly attain to the title of Duke of Wellington. Extraordinary Operation. Royal Dispensary for Diseases of the Year. Our esteemed friend and staunch supporter Colonel Sithorpe has lately, in the most heroic manner, submitted to an unprecedented and wonderfully successful operation. Our gallant friend was suffering from a severe elongation of the auricular organs, amputation was proposed, and submitted to it with most heroic patience. We are happy to state the only inconvenience resulting from the operation is the establishment of a new hep block, and a slight difficulty of recognition on the part of some of his oldest friends. Extraordinary assize intelligence. One of the morning papers gave its readers last week a piece of extraordinary assize intelligence. Headed, cutting a wife's throat before Mr. Sergeant Taddy, we advise the learned sergeant to look to this, tease a too serious joke to be set down as an accessory to the cutting of a wife's throat. Outspoken as his wheel, for Ireland's wheel, here turned Codas Y. Rave, who trust the wheel that owns so sad an ave. Alarming destitution, in the parish of Lenoli, Preconshire, the males exceed the females by more than 1,000, that Worcester, says the examiner. The same majority is in favor of the ladies. We should propose a conference and a general swap of the sexes next market day. As we understand there is not a window in Worcester without a notice of lodgings to a let for single men. Whilst at Linoli the gentleman declares sweethearts can't be had for love nor money. A natural inference. There'll soon be rare work cry the journals in fear. When Peel is called in in his regular way, true for when we've to pay all the Tories. T's clear. It is much the same thing as the devil to pay. The Tory tabled hote Billy Holmes locator, walk up, walk up. Ladies and gentlemen, feeding is going to commence Wellington and Peel are now giving their opening dinners to their friends and admirers. All who want places must come early. Walk up, walk up. This is the real constitutional tavern. Here we are. Gratis feeding for the greedy. Make way there for those hungry looking gentlemen walk up. Sir leave your vote at the bar and take a ticket for your hep, black and white, the Tories vow the wigs are black as night, and boast that they are only blessed with light, Peel's politics to both sides so inclined, his may be called the equinoctial line, the legal ECCA lobby Ireland, Baron Campbell, who has sat altogether about 20 hours in the Irish Court of Chancery, will receive 4.000 L. a year, on the death of either Lord Manners or Lord Plunkett, both octogenarians, which, says the Dublin Monitor, taking the average of human life, he will enjoy 30 years, and adds, 
20 hours contain 1.200 minutes, and 4.000 L. A year for 30 years gives 120.000 L. So that he will receive for the term of his natural life just 100 pounds for every minute that he sat as Lord Chancellor. Pleasant incubation this. Sitting 20 hours, and hatching a fortune. If there be any truth in metempsychosis, Jockey Campbell must be the goose that laid golden eggs. Irish particular. S.H.E.I.L.'s oratories like bottled Devlin's doubt, for, draw the cork, and only froth comes out. Calumny refuted. We can state on the most positive authority that the recent fire at the Army and Navy Club did not originate from a spark of Colonel Sithorpe's with falling amongst some loose jokes which Captain Marriott had been scribbling on the backs of some unedited purser's bills, hitting the right nail on the head. The wigs resemble nails how so, my master, because, like nails, when beat they hold the faster, a matter of taste. Do you admire Campbell's pleasures of hope? Said Crocker to Hook. Which do you mean? The Scotch poets or the Irish chancellors? The real or the ideal Tommy's four thousand lines or jockeys four thousand pounds a year? Inquired Theodore. Crocker has been in a brown study ever since. Charles Keane's cheek. Mr. Punch. Myself and a few other old Etonians have read with inexpressible scorn, disgust, and indignation. The heartless and malignant attempts, in your scoundrel journal, to blast the full-blown fame of that most transcendent actor, and most inexceptionable son, Mr. Charles Keane. Now, punch, fair play is beyond any of the crown jewels. I will advance only one proof, amongst a thousand others that cart horses shot single quote and single quote tea draw from me, to show that Charles Keane makes more mind, I say, makes more of Shakespeare, than every other actor living or dead. Last night I went to the Haymarket Lady Georgiana L. and other fine girls were of the party. The play was, Romeo and Juliet. And there are in that tragedy two slap-up lines, they are, to the best of my recollection, as follow, Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand, that I might touch that cheek. Now, ninety-nine actors out of a hundred make nothing of this not-so-Charles scheme. Here's my proof. Feeling devilish hungry, I thought I'd step out for a snack, and left the box. Just as Charles Keane, my old schoolfellow, was beginning, oh, well, I crossed the way, stepped into Deberg's, swallowed two dozen oysters, took a bottom of brandy, and booked a small bed with Jack's pattern for the same legger, returned to the theater, and was comfortably seated in my box, as Charles Keane, my old schoolfellow, had arrived at, cheek, now, punch, if this isn't making much of Shakespeare, what is, yours you scoundrel, and an TANACREOLDIC number 4. The following ode is somewhat freely translated from the original of a Chinese emigrant named Sietane Chapter or the Illustrious Minstrel. We have given a short specimen of the original, merely substituting the Roman for the Chinese characters. Original. As ye tin poets li re y unji li estid inspire when ye bardia woke is love et w i ni li kit operas so I lose trius pide in dhoun. Aspire fighter and viatarina and see, and see. Translation. As the tin poet's liar young Lydia's did inspire, when the bard awoke his lays, love and wine alike to praise. So, illustrious pitting, thou inspire thy tear and votary now. Whilst the teapot circles round whilst the toast is being browned let me, ere I quaff my tea, sing a pean unto thee. I-O-P-I-D-ing, who foretold, Chinamen would keep their gold who foresaw our ships would be homeward bound, yet wanting tea, who, to cheer the morning land, 
said, I doubt quite still on hand, who, my petting, who but the, I owe petting, Ivo, the state doctor, a bit of a farce, dramedies personae, rhubarb pill a traveling doctor, my sororobiardi peel, B.A.L.A. and his man, by Colonel S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P., countryman, by Mr. Bull, scene, Tamworth, the doctor and his man are discovered in a large wagon, surrounded by a crowd of people, rhubarb pill, Balam, blow the trumpet, B.A.L.A. and blows, toot-toot-toot, silence for the doctor, rhubarb pill, now, friends and neighbors, now's your time for getting rid of all your complaints, whether of the pocket or the person, for I rhubarb pill, professor of sophistry and doctor of laws, have now come amongst you with my old and infallible remedies and restoratives, which, although they have not already worked wonders, I promise shall do so, and render the constitution sound and vigorous, however it may have been injured by poor law use pills, cheap bread, and black sugar, prescribed by wooden-headed quacks, aside, blam, blow the trumpet, b-a-l-a-a and blows, toot-toot-toot, hurrah for the doctor, rhubarb pill, these infallible remedies have been in my possession since the years 1835 and 1837, but owing to the opposition of the cabinet of physicians, I have not been able to use them for the benefit of the public and myself, bows, these invaluable remedies countrymen, wapiday, rhubarb pill, that's not a fair question wait till I'm regularly called in it's not that I care about the fee mine is a liberal profession, and though I had a large family, and as many relations as most people, I really think I should refuse a guinea if it was offered to me, Sir Robert Pierre Tamworth, countryman, then why don't they tell us, rhubarb pill, it's not professional, besides, it's quite requisite that I should feel the patient's pulse, or I might make the dose too powerful, and so countrymen, get the sack, Mr. Doctor, rhubarb pill aside, blow the trumpet, blam, b-a-l-a-a-m, rhubarb pill, and so do more harm than good, besides, I should require to have the necessary consultations over the dinner table, Diet does a great deal not that I care about the loaves and fishes, but patients are always more tractable after a good dinner. Now there's an old lady in these parts countrymen. What? My old missus? Rhubarb pill. The same. She's in a desperate way. Countrymen. Ease. Dr. Russell says it's all owing to your nasty nostrums. Rhubarb pill. Dr. Russell's a never mind. I say she is very bad. And I am the only man that can cure her. Countrymen then out we it. Doctor what will? Rhubarb pill. Wait till I'm regularly called in countryman. But suppose she dies in the meantime? Rhubarb pill. That's her fault. I won't do anything by proxy. I must direct my own administration. Appoint my own nurses for the bedchamber. Have my own herbalists and assistants. And see Dr. Russell's purge thrown out of the window. In short, I must be regularly called in Balam. Blow the trumpet. Balam blows the trumpet. The crowd shout and the doctor bows gracefully, with one hand on his heart and the other in his breeches pocket, at the end of the applause he commences singing, I am called Dr. Pill, the political quack, and a quack of considerable standing and note, I've clapped many a blister on many a back, and crammed many a bolus down many a throat, I have always stuck close, like the rest of my tribe, and physicked my patient as long as he'd pay, and I say, when I'm asked to advise or prescribe, you must wait till I'm called in a regular way. Old England has grown rather sickly of late, for Russell's reduced her almost to a shade, and I've honestly told him, 
for nights in debate, he's a quack that should never have followed the trade, and, Lord, how he fumes, and exultingly cries, were you in my place, Gil, pray what would you say, but I only reply, if I am to advise, I shall wait till I'm called in a regular way, it's rather too bad, if an ignorant elf, who has caught a rich patient were madness to kill, should have all the credit, and pocket the pelf, whilst you are requested to furnish the skill, no, no, amor patriesa phrase I admire, but I own to an amor that stands in its way, and if England should ere my assistance require, she must on the ideas of the clubs, Peter Borth which has expressed his determination not to accept of the speakership of the House of Commons, C.M. Westmacott has announced his intention of not joining the new administration, in consequence of which serious defection, he asserts that Sir Robert Peel will be unable to form a cabinet, you have heard, said his grace of Buckingham, to Lord Abinger, a few evenings ago, how scandalously Peel and his crew have treated me they have actually thrown me overboard, a man of my weight, too, that was the very objection, my lord, replied the Rubicon functionary, their rotten craft could not carry a statesman of your ponderous abilities, your dead weight would have brought them to the bottom in five minutes, the rejected address of the melancholy Whigs, alas! That poor old Wiggery should have been so silly as to go a-wooing, infirm and tottering as the island it was the height of insanity. Down he dropped on his bended knees before the object of his love, out he poured his touching addresses, lisped in the blandest, most persuasive tones, and what was his answer? Scoffs, laughs, kicks, rejection. Even Johnny Russell's muse availed not, though it deserved a better fate, it gained him a wife, but could not win the electors. Our readers will discover the genius of the witty offer of Don Carlos in the address, which, though rejected, we in pity immortalize in punch. Loved friends, kind electors, once more we are here to beg your sweet voices to tell you our deeds. Though our budget is empty, we've got never fear a long full privy purse to stand bribing and feeds. For, oh, we are out and out wigs thorough wigs. Then, shout till your frottles, good people, ye crack, hurrah. For the troop of sublime, thimble rigs. Hurrah! For the jolly old Downing Street pack. What we've done, and will do for you. Happily you'll ask, all, all, gentle folks. You shall presently see. Off your sugar we'll take just one penny a cask. Only adding a shilling a pound on your tea. That's the style for your wigs you're reforming old wigs. Then, shout, and see. Off your broad think of this. We will take if we can a whole farthing a loaf. Then, when wages decline, by one half as they must and you're starving, each man in our new poor law Bastilles may go lodge, and go dine, that's the plan of your wigs your kind heart, true wigs, then, shout, and see, off the fine mammal timber, we take if we could all tax, cause tea is used in the palace and hall, on the cottagers, tradesmen's course Canada would, we will clap such a tax as shall pay us for all. That's the dodge for your wigs your poor loving, true wigs, then, shout, and see, to free our dear brothers, the niggers, you know twenty millions and more we have fixed on your backs, twas gammon twas hum but twas swindle, for, lo, we undo all we've done we go trade in the blacks, your humanity wigs, anti-slavery wigs, then, shout, and see, when to office we came, full two millions in store we found safe and snug, now, that surplus instead, besides having spent it, and six millions more, lo, we're short, on the year, 
Only two millions dead. That's the go for your wigs. You're retrenching old wigs then. Shout. And see. In a word. Round the throne we've stuck sisters and wives. Our brothers and cousins fill bench. Church. And steeple. Assist us to stick in at least for our lives. And nicely we'll sarve out. Queen. Lords. I. And people. That's the fun for your wigs. Your bedchamber old wigs. Shout. Shout. And see. What was the reply to this pathetic, this generous appeal? Name it not at Woburn Abbey, whisper it not at Banchelor, breathe it not in the Epicurean retreat of Brockett Hall. Tears, big tears, roll down our sympathetic checks as we write it. It was simply, cock-a-doodle-doo. Lord Johnny, licking the B.I.R.S.E. Lord John Russell, on his arrival with his bride at Selkirk the other day, was invested with the burgship of that ancient town. In the ceremony, licking the burrs. That island dipping a bunch of shoemakers bristles in a glass of wine and drawing them across the mouth, was performed with all due solemnity by his lordship. The circumstance has given rise to the following judespri, which the author, young Ben Disraeli, has kindly dropped into Punch's mouth, Lord Johnny, that comical dog, that trifles in politics whistles, in London he went the whole hog, that Selkirk he's going the bristles. Why are Sir Robert Peel and Sir James Graham like two persons with only one inlet? Because there is an understanding between them. Why is Sir Robert Peel like a confounded and detected malefactor? Because he has nothing at all to say for himself. A query. The Salisbury Herald says, that Sir John Pollan stated, in reference to his defeat at the Andover election, that from the bribery and corruption resorted to for that purpose, they the electors would have returned a jackass to Parliament. Indeed. How is it that he tried and failed? Lord H-O-W-I-C-K, it is said, has gone abroad for the benefit of his health. He feels that he has not been properly treated at home. Nursery Education Report. As much anxiety necessarily exists for the future well-being of our beloved infant princess, we have determined to take upon ourselves the onerous duties of her education, in accordance with the taste of her royal mother for that soft language which sounds as if it should be writ on sand. We have commenced by translating the old nursery song of Ride a Cock Horse into most choice Italian, and have had it set to music by Rossini, who, we are happy to state, has performed his task entirely to the satisfaction of Mrs. Ratsetti, the nurse of Her Royal Highness, a lady equally anxious with ourselves to instill into the infant mind an utter contempt for everything English, except those effigies of her illustrious mother which emanate from the mint. The original of this exquisite and simple ballad is too well known to need a transcript, the Italian version, we doubt not, will become equally popular with aristocratic mamas and fashionable nurses, as you gallo c'abbiate an Italian c'abbiate sung with abounded applause by Mrs. Aradiasi, at the private concerts of the infant princess, to whom it is dedicated by Her Royal Highness's especial permission, on Dantino con gran espress, music, key of G3 for time. Sub down loca down loa music, key of G band bushels are I gross, and I am more fine. Music, key of G miles rar lobecchia et rotar, moderato e molto staccato. Music, key of D six eight time, AI dida hogli anelli AI pi I campanelli. E musica avra du DC music, key of D von case and VA injured innocence. We have seen, with deep regret, a paragraph going the round of the papers headed, The Lady Thief at Lincoln. As if a lady could commit larceny, her disorder, says the newspapers, is ascribed to a morbid or irrepressible propensity, or monomania, 
in proof of which we beg to subjoin the following prescriptions of her family physician, which have been politely forwarded to us, for a jewelry affection, our spoon silk, virings pearls ei ditto diamond j brooches emmer, et turk, ei combs tortis, et dia, ei theatsu mendumbis hudica magna radiculo at mutho, jk, for a determination of haberdashery to the hands, our balls wasted xifale chantilly jamic, et brus, nose kai, rib, et cot, tops kuntubi jprs, ribbon saturday gaub, et sars, pieces it theatsu mendum kun paste poptic menek, JK punches pencilings, Munger v. Public Affairs on PHRE and OLOGICAL principles, Mr. Combe, the great phrenologist, or, as some call him, Mr. Combe perhaps on account of his being so busy about the head has given it as his opinion, that in less than a hundred years public affairs will be in America at least carried on by the rules of phrenology, by postponing the proof of his assertion for a century, he seems determined that no one shall ever give him the lie while living and when that it will, of course, be of no consequence, we are inclined to think there may be some truth in the anticipation, and we therefore throw out a few hints as to how the science ought to be applied, if posterity should ever agree on making practical use of it, ministers of state must undoubtedly be chosen according to their bumps, and of course, therefore, no chancellor or any other legal functionary will be selected who has the smallest symptom of the bump of benevolence. The judges must possess causality in a very high degree, and time, which gives rise to the perception of duration which they could apply to chancery suits, would be a great qualification for a master of the rolls or a vice-chancellor. The framers of royal speeches should be picked out from the number of those who had the largest bumps of secretiveness, and those possessing inhabitiveness, producing the desire of permanence in place, should be shunned as much as possible. No bishop should be appointed whose bump of veneration would not require him to wear a hat constructed like that of punch, to allow his organ full play, and the development of number, if large, might ensure a chancellor of the exchequer whose calculations could at least be relied upon. Our great objection to the plan is this that it might be abused by parties bumping their own heads, and raising tumors for the sake of obtaining credit for different qualities. Thus a terrific crack at the back of the ear might produce so great an elevation of the organ of combativeness as might obtain for the greatest coward a reputation for the greatest courage, and a thundering rap on the center of the head might raise on the skull of the veriest brute a bump of, and name for, benevolence. It was before I married, a bnedicdiny lyric. Well, come my dear, I will confess though really you too hard are so dry these tears and smooth each tress let Betty search the larder. Then or a chop and genial glass. Though I so late have tarried, I will recount what came to pass I the days before I married. Then, every place where fashion hides, wealth, health, and youth to squander, I sought shop folly as it flies, till I could shoot no longer. Still at the opera, playhouse, clubs, till midnight's hour I tarried, mixed in each scene that fashion dubs the cheese before I married, soon grown familiar with the town. Through pleasure's haze I hurried, don't feel alarm suppress that frown another glass your flurried subscribe to Crockford's, betted high such specs to oft miscarried, my purse was full nay, check that sigh it was before I married, that asket I was quite the thing, where all admired my tandem, I sparkled in the stand and ring, talked, betted though at random, that Epsom, and at Goodwood too, I flying colors carried, flatterers and followers not a few were mine before I married, my cash I lent to everyone, and gay crowds thronged around me, my credit, when my cash was gone, 
till bills and bailiffs bound me, with honey promises so sweet, each friend his object carried, till I was marshaled to the fleet, but twas before I married, then sober thoughts of wedlock came, suggested by the papers, the Sunday times soon raised a flame, the post cured all my vapors, and spite of what romance may say against courtship so uncarried, thanks to the fates and fair, Z.A., I now am blessed and married, Jockey Jason, Jockey Campbell, who has secured 4.000L. a year by crossing the water and occupying for 20 hours the Irish Molesack, strongly reminds us of Jason's Argonautic expedition, after the Golden Fleece, new coat of signals, the immense importance of the signals now used in the Royal Navy, by facilitating the communication between ships at sea, has suggested to an ingenious member of the Scientific Association, the introduction of a telegraphic code of signals to be employed in society generally, where the vivos mode of communication might be either inconvenient or embarrassing. The inventor has specially devoted his attention to the topics peculiarly interesting to both sexes, and proposes by his system to remove all those impediments to a free and unreserved interchange of sentiment between a lady and gentleman, which feminine timidity on the one side natural gaucherie on the other dread of committing oneself or fear of transgressing the rules of good breeding, and, 